0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you, Nathan. Um, so, John chapter eighteen. Uh, last week we had our baptism and children's dedication, which is always one of my favorite Sundays of the year. We do that twice, actually. But uh, so we took a little break. We're back in John chapter eighteen. We're going to look at only six verses or so today, and they're actually split up in John chapter eighteen. So it's the first one we're going to look at is verse fifteen through eighteen, then twenty-five through twenty-seven. The reason it's split up is because it's all one story of, how, of Peter's denial. Of Jesus, but John, the author, splits it up talking about the trial of Jesus. So we did the trial of Jesus two weeks ago altogether. Now we're doing Peter's denial altogether. So it's just important that we understand why we're jumping around. We're not skipping stuff. There's nothing in verse 19 that I don't want to cover. We covered it two weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that online if you were not here. So, John chapter 18, uh, just kind of to set the tone, to set the picture where we're at, we are in the priestly palace if you will. Annas and Caiaphas are father-in-law and son-in-law. They live in a mansion in the middle of Jerusalem. They have taken Jesus under the cover of night, bound to try him there in the palace. They have gathered the Sanhedrin together. We know because we covered it a couple weeks ago that they are going to find Jesus guilty of blasphemy and start looking for a way to kill him. While this trial is going on though, we have two disciples, Peter and John, that are following. They want to see what's going to happen. Their leader's been taken, so they, they, they want to go. But they're also fugitives themselves. Jesus made sure in the Garden of Gethsemane that his disciples would not be arrested. When taken. He said, he told the soldiers, you let them go. Let them go. They're not yours. They're not in this. So they all fled. They double back. At least Peter and John did. And they're wanting to see what happens. So what takes place, takes place in the palace courtyard. What takes place, takes place while Jesus is being tried. And what takes place is pretty powerful stuff. So if you will, John chapter 18, verses, verse 15, we'll start there. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. If you read Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all say at a great distance. So they weren't like with him, but they were sneaking up, diving back and forth across the path, trying to follow the, the crowd that's taking Jesus to the priestly palace. Now, it doesn't say John there, okay? But John... Rarely, if ever, identifies himself. When John wants to identify himself, he'll say that, and another disciple, or he'll say the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a good nickname. But John doesn't call himself John very often, so we're pretty certain that this is John. They are following at a distance because this disciple, John, was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. How in the world would John be known? Well, there's a couple things. John was not a wealthy, wealthy man, but his father Zebedee did have a small fishing empire, so he had some wealth. But more importantly, John's mother is Salome. Salome is sisters with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, Mary and Salome are nieces to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. Okay, but Elizabeth's husband is Zechariah. He was a priest in the temple who, about 33 years prior, went mute for a period of time and couldn't speak as God was prophesying through him the coming of John the Baptist. So Zechariah's a pretty powerful man, or at least well-known, uncle to John's mother. John's from a pretty powerful family. More than likely, the high priest just knew him. One like he was super special, but knew him because of his relatives, knew him because of his prominence in the community, just knew him. So John's able to walk up and go, hey, bud, can I get in? And they let him in. But we'll see here in a minute that uh, Peter isn't so lucky, he doesn't get to come in. Verses 16 and 17, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. <laughs> That's kind of stinky. No, I'm with him. Well, we don't know you. We know him. We don't know you. So you wait here. John gets to go in. Peter had to wait outside. <clears throat> the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So John doubles back, talks to the girl at the gate. Hey, really, be cool if you let my friend in. Can, can you? Can you just just let him in? So the servant girl goes out care. am I going to stop him. So Peter gets to come in, but then the servant girl asks this really important question. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? We know that John is. We know he's crazy. We know he follows Jesus, but you're not one, are you? You're, you're not one of his disciples. Peter's first denial, I'm not. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I'm not one of his disciples, no. Now before we start loading on to Peter, there's many reasons why he may have denied Jesus. There's the possibility that he just wanted to get in. There's possibility that he was afraid. I don't know why he did it. I really don't. I don't know why he did it, but that was the first of three denials. And it was really simple. Did he lie? Sure. Is that bad? Yeah, the Bible says so. But in my opinion, it's just a passing comment. I'm not. Don't worry, I'm not one of his disciples. I think he just wanted in. I think he just wanted to get past the guard, the little servant girl. (coughs) So... Carrying on, verse 18. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. It's the middle of the night. It's freezing cold. There shouldn't be anyone in the courtyard, but there were 600 people that arrested Jesus, and they dang sure aren't going home. They want to see how this thing plays out. But they're not allowed into the priestly mansion itself, so they got to stand outside. So they get cold, they build a fire. They're standing around the fire, they're talking. Now, Peter is trying to blend in because you have to imagine that some of the conversation was, hey, what happened to those other guys that were with Jesus? That one ran off naked. Did you see that? <laughs> that that guy's nuts. So they're talking, and Peter's getting more and more uncomfortable, but he wants to know what's going on. He wants to see what's going to happen to his friend. And so they're standing there like anyone would, warming themselves by a fire. They're talking about these 11 fugitives, and Jesus is being beaten and humiliated and what can only be called a mockery of the judicial system skipping to verse 25 meanwhile Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself so they asked him you aren't one of his disciples too are you same question he denied it saying i'm not second denial i'm not same way same form Peter's second denial was quite possibly to the same girl at the gate. Read with me in Mark chapter 14. We're going to start kind of jumping back and forth between John and Mark here for a little bit, just because Mark does a good job of elaborating on this. So Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 68. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the the servant girls of the high priest came by. Could have been the same girl from the gate, could have been someone else, I don't know. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. "'You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus,' she said." But he denied it. He said, "I don't know or understand what you're talking about, you know, talking down like a little girl, right? You, you making no sense. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. I've never met him. I'm for sure I'm not his disciple. You're crazy. Now, girl, you go. You go. Stop talking to me." He said, and he went out to the entryway. He busted. Second time, maybe the same girl went, "No, I recognize you. You are. You're doing a great job. Thank you. See, see, he mutes it every time I cough, so you don't have to hear it. You see? I give him the signal, he mutes it. Uh, Man. (laughs) Clifton, I wish we paid you, man. You are good. (laughs) You are so good at this. The signal, mute, it's, you didn't even know. You had no idea. He's good, though. Golly, put an extra dollar in his non-pay. Um, Peter's got to get out of there now. Okay, he's got to get out of there. Second time, he's been acknowledged. So he starts to make his way back to the door. He's gone. He needs to leave. He is busted. He's not going to be able to see this one through. So on his way back to the gate, verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, and this just stinks for Peter, okay? One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him didn't i see with him in the garden so picture this he's trying to leave and a guy stops him at the door and goes you cut off my brother's ear (laughs) yo dude i hey everybody this guy pulled out a sword just an hour ago and he cut off malchus's ear i i I saw it this guy is a criminal what are we what is he doing in here I don't know if you've ever been busted, like truly busted, but Peter is now smoked. (laughs) There is no chance he's getting out of there, no chance at all, unless he really denies it. Verse 27, and again Peter denied it, and at that moment a rooster began to crow. Mark 14, 71 and 72. Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time, and then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And then Peter broke down and wept, and Luke says he wept bitterly. Oh, he's going to get out of there because he swore on threats of hell that he did not know Jesus. I swear to you by God, may I be sent to hell for eternity if I'm lying. I do not know this man. And then the rooster crows. And then he remembers just a few hours ago when Judas had betrayed Jesus, had left to betray him. And Peter goes, I would never, ever, ever, ever do that. And Jesus goes, don't be so quick. Tonight, before the rooster crows, twice, you'll betray me three times. There's a legend or a myth, really a cultural myth in Judaism That the demons play at night. If you think that's strange, we have the same concept in American culture like nothing good happens after midnight. I mean, we have the same idea. But the demons play at night. And there's, in part of this legend, says that before the rooster crows three times, the demons are free to play. And I think the reason why Jesus says this and why Mark says this is not that they believe any of the demonic creatures are out at night and the rooster sends them back into their cave. They don't believe that. But as a Jew reading this, you would have caught the illusion. And the idea was that Satan was at work here. Don't be so confident, Peter, that you won't mess up. Don't think you're better. Don't think you're outside of temptation, or the realm of saving your own skin. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. Probably the most painful moment in Peter's life. After the rooster crowed, then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Remember a couple weeks ago when I told you that Peter or that Jesus was transferred from Annas' west wing to Caiaphas's east wing. I think what's happening here is that the transfer is going on. The trial's about to begin. Jesus is walking through the courtyard. And it just so happens that in that moment, Peter denies him for the third time. As he's weeping bitterly, he doesn't care anymore about being busted. He just heard the rooster crow as if it weren't enough. Then he looks up and he sees him. Now remember how they transferred Jesus, bloody and beaten. They took turns popping him before they transferred him. So not only does Peter see his friend, his Lord and his Savior bound, he sees him bound and beaten and bloody, and it happens in the same moment, by calling curses down upon himself, he denies Jesus for the third time, and what Jesus had said just a few hours ago as prophecy has come true. John doesn't record any of that stuff that Mark and Luke do. And John John does that a lot. John will breeze over stuff. He left out the whole prayer in the garden. I mean, like, John can do whatever he wants to do. But as I read this this week, I did have one question. Like, where is John? They walked in together, and Peter's now at the gate, busted, weeping, and John doesn't appear to be there. I don't want to read too much into that, but I think I think John got out of Dodge, too. And I think the reason that John doesn't record this isn't because he didn't have access to it. He'd already read Matthew, Mark, Luke. I mean, he, had, he knew how it went down. I think he didn't record this. I think he just said, and, you know, and Peter said, I don't know him. Peter said, I don't know him. He, John didn't record any of the, others, the, the really dramatic stuff. I think mean, because he felt guilty, too. I think he felt guilty too for not being there for his friend, for not standing strong. But the other reason, this this I know for sure, John and Peter were friends. And he may have hung his friend out to dry that night, but he wasn't gonna record that part for all eternity. And we'll get there in a couple weeks, actually after Christmas, but John chapter 21, there's a section of Peter being restored of Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? This beautiful path, I can't wait to get there. When we started John two years ago, I I was excited to get to chapter 21 for that passage. John chapter 21 is how John wanted Peter to be remembered. And I think it's because in John chapter 18, even though it's not recorded anywhere, John wasn't so strong either. When I look at this, I can't help but notice that there are two betrayals that happen on this same night. Remember, even though it's taken us weeks to do this, it's still Thursday night. It's the middle of the night. There's two betrayals. There's a betrayal of Judas to Jesus where he sold him out, had him arrested, 30 pieces of silver. And then there's the betrayal of Peter. And you can go, man, those are not the same. Like Peter just denied knowing him a couple times. Those are not the same, but there's two betrayals there. Both of them were prophesied. Jesus said they would occur. Judas's betrayal was prophesied about hundreds of years before it even happened. Both of them were prophesied. Both of them are part of God's sovereign plan. And, and I, 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 that's a tough one to swallow. Like, people betraying Jesus as part of God's sovereign plan? Yes. Is God sovereign over all, even betrayal? But I see these two betrayals. Judas's evil deeds, and I see one main difference, and this is the part I want us to glean today. Judas tried to fix his evil deeds himself. Instead of returning to Jesus, instead of falling on his face and asking forgiveness, Judas tried to return. The money. I I think that's admirable. If I give you the money back, maybe God will forgive me. Jesus runs back, tries to return the money. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. This is where that's recorded. Matthew 27, 1 through 5. Early in the morning, this is Friday, probably still the middle of the night, all the chief priests and the elders and the people made their plans of how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned... He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he says to the chief priests and the elders, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. And listen to how they reply. What is that to us? That's on you. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. Guilt ridden. I mean, if you've never heard that story, it's a tragic end. He tried to fix it. I, I betrayed innocent blood. He was clearly sorry. I tried to fix it, man. What is that to me? What is that to me, says the high priest? It's on you, bud. He throws the money and he goes and he ends his life. Once again, I think it's hard to equate what Judas did and what Peter did, but here's what I know Peter did right. After he wept bitterly, he got up and he kept living. He got up and he lived another day. And I'm not turning this into a suicide talk. That's not where I'm going with this at all. It's so, like, we're good. Judas quit. Peter didn't. So now talking to each of you, you may never publicly deny Jesus. Don't know him, don't care about him, don't love him, whatever. You may never do that. But if you were to deny Jesus, if you ever feel like you failed Jesus, hurt Jesus, denounced or belittled Jesus, defamed Jesus, just generally stank at loving Jesus. If you've ever been there, from this story of Peter's denial and also his subsequent restoration in John 21, I would tell those of you who have ever found yourself hurting Jesus to not quit. That's most important. And never try to fix it yourself. That's much more important. Jesus is the restorer and the fixer. You are not. And there are so many people who have walked away from the Lord because they went, he'll never take me back. I cannot do enough good for him to take me back. I've messed up so bad that I would have to say a thousand Hail Marys and a billion Jesus Loves Me's and And they quit. Don't quit. And don't try to fix it yourself. There were two betrayals that ended very differently for two different people. One quit and tried to fix it himself, and one let Jesus restore him. Church, always, always let Jesus restore you. And as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is still time for him to do so. If you are sitting here today, there is time for him to do so. But you cannot do enough to fix it yourself. So don't try. As the band comes back up here, I want to finish with two more verses from the same author, John, but in his epistle, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children... My friends, my family. I write this to you so that you will not sin. I want you to read this letter that I'm writing you because I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to fail. I don't want you to defame the name of Jesus. I write this so that you won't do it. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate an advocate who sits with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, and he alone is the righteous one. If anyone does sin, me, you have a restorer. You have an advocate. You have someone who will go talk to God for you. You don't have to fix it yourself. He'll do it for you. He'll go to the Father, for he is the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. You can't fix it yourself. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole stinking world. Someone should have said amen there. We have an advocate who restores and fixes us who are broken. As long as you don't quit, as long as you realize you can't fix it yourself, just call on him. Today as we respond, I want to call those who have sinned, not in some like heavy, burdensome way, but I want to call you to acknowledge that there is a restorer, Jesus Christ, who's ready to heal and mend and fix and do what you cannot do for yourself. And especially today, if you're one of those who feel like Man, there's no way God loves me, there's no way that Jesus will take me back. There's no like, I've I've been coming to church for a while trying to feel something that's not working. Don't quit. Stop trying to think you got to fix yourself, because you can't. But he can. He can. So today, pastors and preachers to be up here like normal. Let's talk about just openly our shortcomings. It's not like we're going to judge anyone. We're, we we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like that's just truth. I'm not going to mock anyone. Like, let's talk about our shortcomings. Let's talk about our failures. Let's talk about where we've let Jesus down. And then let's let him restore us. I'd love to talk with you. Love to pray with you about that. Communion, back to the room. Take it. To remember that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but also the sins of the entire world. That's what we remember when we take communion, the bread and the cup. Take it. Celebrate it. Cling to it. He's the restorer. He's the one who fixes you. Father, thank you for your son Jesus and the way that he restores, the way that he heals, the way that he mends, the way that he brings back into life. Lord, I pray that that will happen today through your Holy Spirit. Let your word just permeate us and Lord, your spirit move us and we worship you and celebrate you for who you are and what you've done through your son Jesus. So in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's respond to him.